Hi, my name is Pastor Tony Garbarino of Providence Presbyterian Church. We're delighted that you tuned in to hear a message from God's Word. If you'd like to find more information about us, please go to providencefw.org, providencefw.org. We seek to be Bible-based, gospel-saturated, and Christ-centered. So please enjoy now this message. Thanks for coming. If you take your copy of the Scriptures, and please turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, as we continue, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. <clears throat> Before we hear from the Lord, let's ask His blessing upon the reading and preaching and hearing of that word. Let's pray. Dear Lord, our gracious Father, we come again before you on this your day and just acknowledge what a privilege we have in being in your presence. And we pray, dear Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and open hearts to receive from you now as you feed us from your word. Lord, we pray, arrest our attentions and remove all those distractions that swirl around in our minds. Help us to hear and to receive. Lord, we pray, help us to bend our lives and our wills towards you. We pray, Lord, now that the instrument of your word this morning and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. We ask this all in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Second Corinthians, I'll be reading verses 12 to 22, 12 to 24. Please give your full attention now. This is the word of our God. Second Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so, so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, a word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. This is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you and I refrain, that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your, your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. The glass, grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. May he indeed add his blessing upon that word now. 
You know, there are a few things in our lives that we go through, like the pain of having your integrity uh, doubted, um, particularly those who are not raised uh, in means or with um, in a certain class. The thing that you have above all else is your word and your integrity. And it is indeed a painful thing when that is slighted and doubted. Your word, which you regard as your bond, being treated as though you were a deceiver. Uh, and feeling the pain that goes along with that in the conversations behind your back uh, when you're not there, right? The gossip, slander, betrayal, uh, whatever it might be. And if you've ever gone through something like that, you have something in common with the Apostle Paul. Uh, that is the context of, of the Corinthians letter, 2 Corinthians in particular. That's the context that he's writing the second letter that we have to the Corinthians. Uh, he was told that he wants to come and see them, in verse 16. That he wants to have a double blessing with them, seeing them on the way there and on the way back. But all of that has changed. There are some people there in Corinth, as we see and as we'll see throughout the letter, who've been turning, their, turning the members there, uh, turning to them and saying, see, I told you, Paul can't be trusted. You can't trust this guy. No integrity. There were some there, and again, we'll see later, the super apostles, he calls them, who wanted to domineer over this church that Paul had served, planted and served as their father in Christ. And they were more than happy to spread these rumors and slander Paul about this man, Paul. He was a man whose word cannot be trusted. Of course, we're all aware that Jesus teaches us that when someone slaps you on the cheek, you turn the other cheek. But there are occasions, and this is one of them. It's one of those times for Paul when it was important for him to defend his integrity. Right? And why would he do that? The reason why makes sense when you think about it. Right? It's, it's possible that a person with very little integrity can be a powerful politician. We know that all abundantly well. It's possible for a person to have very little integrity and be the best neurosurgeon in the world or the best mechanic in the world, or the best artist in the world. But it is not possible to be a witness of Jesus Christ if you have no integrity. right? And it's the certainty, uh, I'm sorry, it's, certainly not, it's, it's a certainty that it's not possible to be an effective preacher of Jesus Christ if your word lacks integrity. And this is what Paul was, this is who he was. So it's important for, that we understand the reason why Paul is defending himself at all to these people. Right? The reason he begins to speak out here is not because he's concerned with his own personal reputation, but because he realizes that his reputation uh, is so wrapped up in Jesus Christ, and the reputation of Christ is wrapped up with the integrity of his words. Right? Remember how he begins, uh, or, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, his first, his first letter, he said to them, If we tell you that Christ has been raised from the dead and he has not, we're false witnesses. Right? We are false witnesses, and ultimately among the most men to be mis uh, miserable men. And so this is why Paul defends his, his integrity. Right? It's because he is the one who has spoken, recall, as it says in the beginning of 1 Corinthians, he's spoken what? The word of Christ, the word of the gospel. Right? And so why should we believe the gospel that somebody bears witness to if we can't believe their words when they say they're coming to see us, right? In verse 17, that's the accusation. And Paul's reasoning is this. It is utterly impossible, verse 18 will say, 
that I would let you down. It's utterly impossible. Because the word that is given to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ is not yes and no, but it is always yes in Christ. It is always yes. And these are amazing words for us. right? We've all read them. We're all familiar with these words. And it's fairly easy to think um, we know what they mean because we're so familiar with them. But when we stop and think about it, what is it that Paul's talking about? What does he mean in verse 19 when he says, In Jesus Christ it is always yes. It's always yes in him. What is always yes? Right? What is the yes that we are given in Jesus Christ? Well, in these verses here, Paul takes us through a few steps to explain what that is, or shows us to demonstrate what that is. All right? And there are three of these steps, and they help us understand this yes in Jesus Christ. They help provide something of uh, the flavor of the love of Jesus Christ that only his loved ones know. And so first what Paul does is he points us to the graciousness of his son. Right? The, the son's graciousness is the first thing that we see. That's what he means when he says it is always yes in Jesus Christ. And I think we can safely say that in our culture, by and large, contrary to our wishes and our hopes and our desires and our efforts, that to most people, in an increasingly post-Christian and anti-Christian world, Jesus Christ is no to them. And when so many hear the name of Christ, no is the word that is more likely to come into their minds than yes. No is the word that often comes from their mouths regarding Christ. If you've ever attempted to speak to someone about Christ in the gospel, Jesus Christ is not yes to them. For so many, when they hear the name of Christ, they think, no thanks, he is not for me. They think he's the one who comes to spoil my fun. He's the one to come and truncate my life. He's the one to burden my conscience. No. In the name of Christ is the name, however, even in their denial that they most fear. So many people are conditioned by the media to fear this or that group or people or this or that label. This is one of the reasons I strongly encourage everyone to practice vigorous social media distancing. Right? Shut it off. Get away from it. But we can be sure of this, regardless of this or that week's boogeyman or issue. That that name or that thing or that group is not the name that most people you know fear most. You can test this this week as you go back into the world, back from the comfort and safety and glory of this foretaste of heaven, back into the secular world. And you go back and you speak to those who do not know Jesus Christ of the grace and the love and the beauty and the glory of our Savior. And you know what happens. The walls go up and the eyes roll back. And there will be a sense of social awkwardness as you speak too much of him in their eyes. You'll definitely see social distancing when you do that. And why is that? It's because for strangers of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, uh, they don't, they're strangers of the Son's graciousness. Right? They're strangers of it all. And actually Jesus Christ is no to them. They see Christ as, as God's great no. And their instinctive response in their sin and rebellion is no. But when the love of Jesus Christ is known by his loved ones, brothers and sisters, and that's you and me, and all who name the name of Christ, when the, 
when the love of Christ is known, Jesus Christ is always yes. It's always yes. This is his grace towards us. And even for you, if you uh, or even if you're not, if you're raised in a covenant home, right, in a Christian family, maybe you can recall a time at some point when Jesus went from being no to being yes. To being glorious and graciously yes to you as the Lord opens your heart to him. And the apostle is saying, how could I possibly lack integrity in my relationships with you when, I, when this one, Jesus, whom I've preached, this Christ that I've preached to you, he is the Jesus who is yes to you and yes to me. In Christ it is always Yes. Then Paul goes on to explain the reason why the gracious Savior is always yes. Right? It's not because of, it's not just because of the Son's graciousness, but the second thing he talks about is the way that the Son fulfills the promises of God. The way the Son fulfills the promises of God, and this is a very important thing and something that we miss very often. Uh, notice he goes on in verse twenty to say that all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Right? And so we have the Son's graciousness and then the, the Son's fulfillment. Right? And this is what, if we think about it, right, remember back to Luke chapter 22 and chapter 24. And he taught the two that were on their way to, Emmaus, to Emmaus on that resurrection morning. When he showed them how all of the scriptures are fulfilled in him, in Jesus. And their hearts were warmed. Remember that? And their eyes were opened. And here in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that it's, the promises, right? The promises that are yes in Christ. Every promise gives. Uh, every promise God gives to that promise, Jesus himself says yes. And I recall when I was in seminary, it was a, there were some wonderful experiences that I had and uh, having the privilege of gleaning from those who were more experienced and, and wise and well-seasoned ministers and professors. One of them told me about a book that you may have seen at some point, uh, called All the Promises of God. Are you familiar with this? To try to cull together all the promises of God. And he spoke about this, and he said, he said he often wondered, it's not a bad book, but that's not all the promises of God. Those aren't all the promises of God. Because there are not only promises of blessing in God's word, but there are also promises of judgment in God's word. And that's an important reminder for us, dear Christian. Because we don't merely have a sentimental, saccharine, nice God who lives on, as some have, called, have said, Big Rock Candy Mountain and just smiles all day long. Sadly, that's many people's perception of who God is. That's what some have fallen into believing. And for you and I who name his name and, to, and love him and trust him for our life as he has given us faith, the promises of blessing, they are oh so sweet and beautiful and delightful to us. But we can never forget that God is perfectly just, even as he is perfectly holy. He is perfect and complete and holy and just. We cannot forget that. Remember one of the most awesome public gatherings described in Scripture, you will recall, at the end of Deuteronomy. When Moses gathers the people together, all the Israelites... He says to them, now, when I'm no longer with you, when you enter into the land under Joshua's leadership, there's a ceremony that you must perform. 
And he tells them they will come to Shechem. And there, there is a plain between two mountain, mountains, Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. And it says, you will assemble in that plain. It's about three miles wide. There must have been a million or two million people gathered together on each side of this plain, half on each mountain. Can you imagine this site? It's hard for us to picture. All these people, this incredible site, this massive gathering of people. And he says, half of you will stand on Mount Ebal, half on Mount Gerizim, and from Mount Ebal, curses will be read out upon the people of God if they become faithless. It's a warning of the promise of cursing in their faithlessness. And those curses were read, and there were 12 promises of judgment read out that would be read in this most amazing recital ever. It must imagine what it sounded like, like thunder, and the people of God were to respond. And that's what's happened. You can read about this again in Deuteronomy, and then later in Joshua, they actually do this. And the people of God heard these promises of judgment. And you remember what they said? I'm in. Yes, let it be. Amen. Right? We talk about the dialogical principle of worship, right? A dialogue that's going on in worship. This is the largest responsive reading in all of history, right? Million to two million people. And then we move forward to another mountain as we read through our scripture. And there, there's only one Israelite. The mountain is Mount Calvary. And the cross to which Jesus is nailed. Or he has, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5.21, where he has become what? Sin for us. Where he hangs alone, as though he alone is the sinner, representing sinners before God. In all the judgments of God, the promises of judgment and curse that should fall upon you and on me are represented in Jesus Christ. And that's actually what happens. And what does Jesus say to those? To those, he cries out on the cross, yes, let it be, amen. And you see, this is the reason. It's because of this aspect of what Christ has done that we can be so sure of all the promises of God that they are yes in Jesus Christ. Because he has borne those judgment promises of God upon our sin so that we can be absolutely certain of the promises of blessing that will flow to us. And we never forget that. Right? We devalue the fall of man. We devalue the holiness and justness of God. And we diminish the work of Jesus Christ and all that he did for us. And of course, we read later in Galatians chapter 3, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by what? By becoming a curse for us. Christ became a curse for you. If you belong to him. He said amen to God's judgment curse on our sins in order that the blessings that were promised might flow to us. What a glorious truth. Or as we read in Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God didn't spare his own son when he came before the Father wearing the robes of our sinfulness in our filth. And if God didn't spare his own, his own son, but kept his promise to judge our sin in that son, then we can be certain, we can be assured, we can have comfort, we can know with certainty that he will give us in and with Jesus everything that we need. 
and he has, and he does. All things, Romans 8 says. All things. Again, why? Because to us, Jesus is yes. He's yes. Because he himself said yes to the promises of God, promises of curse and blessing. And then Paul goes on in verses 20 and 22 to say this is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You see that? This, this beautiful full, fourfold description of what God does. Right? Why, does he, why does he say this? Well, this is the final, the third point this morning, the third reason, the third way that he shows what this yes is, because he wants to teach us not only the son's graciousness or the son's fulfillment of the promises of God, cursing and blessing, but also of the son's encouragement. Encouragement. Right? And that's what we need as children of God, is it not? Encouragement that comes from these very things, his graciousness, his fulfilling the promises, his taking the curse, his distribution of blessing because of those things, to encourage us in this life, dear Christian. It's because you, as you're sitting here today, it may not seem to you that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. Right? That's hard for us to accept sometimes. And you may be here thinking and, and, and wanting to resonate with these truths, but all the while in your heart, you may be crying out, where is God in my stuff? Why am I going through this pain? What is the point of this suffering? Well, that's why these words are here. Right? That's why these words are here. And that, by the way, is why we need to be continually be taking in God's word to remind us of these things, even in our despair, in our weakness, in our forgetfulness. It's why these words are here, because we cry out in disbelief and lack of faith that these things are true. Because in our instability, we feel these very things. Why? Why the pain? Where are you? What's the point? But again, remember from earlier in this chapter, we're realists when it comes to suffering. Right? We don't deny that they're real. We don't pretend that sufferings don't happen. We don't deny them. These words are here because, you know, when, when we learn that all the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ, we also understand along with that that God works on his own timeline to make that clear to us. Right? And it's part of the stretching and the growing of his children to believe, to have faith, to rest upon him, to trust in him. And in the struggles of this life, in our broken and backward world, it's easy to cry out, where are the promises of God now? How can I say in the mess that I'm in, the promises of God are yes in Jesus? But you'll remember in Matthew 8, right? Jesus rebukes the fishermen for their little faith. Remember? And those fishermen should have been aware of God's promises, particularly in their context. Right? There was a psalm for fishermen, Psalm 107. It's a long psalm, and there's lots there, but there's parts of it that are specifically relatable and for those who worked the sea those whose life it was to go down to the sea and work their trade in the deep waters, in the depths. And they would know of these promises, right? the works of the Lord that describe a storm coming 
and how they cried out to the Lord. And he helped them, and he settled the storm. And those verses in Psalm 107 are like a prophecy of what Jesus did, that very thing on the Sea of Galilee, you, re- you recall. And see, we have to, we have to uh, understand from this. They could never learn that the promises of God to still storms on the water were yes in Jesus until they were in the storm. You see that? In order for us to know the deliverance, the sustaining grace of God in and through adversity, we have to have what? Adversity. And we tend to think that it would be fantastic to know all the promises of God, that they are yes in Jesus, if we were never in a situation that we needed those promises to be true. But then we would never know in our own lives that they are true. That they are true. That they are always true. In fact, this flows out of what he's just talked about, of being comforted and then comforting others with that comfort that we've been comforted with. How can we comfort others? Have we not never been comforted? Through the yes in Jesus Christ. And sometimes it takes a long time for the Lord to bring us to full and final conviction that all of His promises are true. But this is why He gives us His Word. And this is why He condescends to give us what He wanted us to know in His Word. And He gives us uh, a physical representation of what He did in the Supper to remind us, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to increase our faith, to grow us, to believe. And that's why he says you must never lose sight of Jesus Christ when you think about the promises of God because he has proven his faithfulness in a way in the way that the Lord Jesus said yes to the dark promises of God in order that what that he might say yes to the good and gracious blessings of God for you and for me. And so Paul uses this language dear Christian knowing how slow we are to embrace the promises of God. And he sees this, this, this lingering sense, this doubt in our hearts that maybe Jesus is no and not yes. And so God comes, he says in verse 21, and establishes us. You see that? He comes and he says, I will be with you. I will never forsake you. It's a promise from Christ's own mouth in the Gospels. He says he will establish us, and he anoints us, and he gives us a sweet sense of the taste of his love for us. And he seals us, and he tells us that we are his. It's part of what we do in the sacraments, by the way. We're marking ourselves out from the world, that we belong to him as his children, part of the family of God, not of the world. We are his. He establishes us, he anoints us, he seals us, And he gives us his spirit as a guarantee. Well, my wise and experienced pastor friend from seminary used the analogy that I think most people are familiar with uh, in explaining the tender love of our Heavenly Father. And it's of a father with his little boy. right? You've all seen it if you've not experienced it. He's about to go to bat for the first time. I've never played. I was never a baseball player, but we did with our son. And it used to be called Little League, right? I don't know if it's still called that, but you know the picture. The father is there with the son, and the son is nervous. Right? And the tears may be welling up in his eyes, and he sees the other team and all the people watching, and he's anxious and he's terrified. But there at his side is his dad. 
and he's holding the little boy's arms and his hands on his shoulder. And he takes his hand and he's saying to him, son, I'm here for you. I'll, I'll be here for you. It doesn't matter what happens. I'll never stop loving you or encouraging you. If anything happens, I'm here to care for you. I'll carry you off this field. I love you. You're mine. You'll always be mine. And he gives the boy a hug, a high five, and he goes off and he plays. And it's yes and yes, right? That child is emboldened to go and play because of the love and safety of his father. And for us, brothers and sisters, in relation to our Heavenly Father, we're all little leaguers, right? That's us. We show ourselves, we pretend to be in control and strong and mature and able and fearless. But before the circumstances of life, you don't have to live very long. All of that easily crumbles and withers away. And we are shown in all of our weakness who we really are. But here is the glorious Savior. He stands before us in the gospel and he says to you, all the promises can be yes as you come and trust in me. What a glorious thing. What a glorious thing it is, brothers and sisters. It's the most glorious thing in the world to be a child of the King as believers in Jesus Christ. Because with God as our Heavenly Father, Christ is always yes to you. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your your promise to be with us forever. Lord, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, for all that he did. And he indeed accomplished everything, that we would have everything in him. Father, we praise you and we thank you and we pray that you would indeed be with us and continue to care for us and carry us through all the difficulties of this life. Give us faith, increase our trust in you and our reliance upon you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, thank you for tuning in. This morning, uh, if you'd like more information uh, about Providence, if you're in the greater Fort Wayne area and would like to visit us, please go to our website, providencefortwayne.org. If you'd like to give, if you were blessed by this message, if you'd like to have more information about the faith or about growing in your faith, uh, we'd love for you to get connected with us. Thank you. We've set up a simple way for you to give to our church online. If you want to give a quick gift, enter an amount, Select a fund, then enter your email address and your first and last name. Then enter your payment details and click Give. And that's it. We'll send a receipt to your email address. To use a saved payment method or manage a recurring donation, you'll want to log in. Click the Login button and we'll send a code to your phone or email account. Verify the code and you're in. Now your payment info is ready to go when you want to make a donation. To manage your giving details, switch over to the My Giving page. Here you'll see more ways you can give. You can also add a payment method, a bank account or a debit card, set up a recurring donation, and view your giving history. To get started, visit our website or download the Church Center app in your Android or Apple App Store.